everyone. Welcome to Queer Lodgings, the queer-led podcast about everything Tolkien. I'm Alicia, and I'm here with the usual co-hosts, Grace and Leah. Hey there, guys. Hey. And today, we're once again being joined by Tim. I swear I'm not a regular host. This is going to be my last episode for a bit. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. It's time to hunker down next to the fire with some tomatoes, sausages, and nice crispy bacon. This episode, we're covering the first season of Rings of Power, and let's hope that there will be no weathertop-worthy fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) You're about to see why I said that. We're going to start off this episode with kind of our short feelings, just like overall what we feel about this season. We're going to start with Leah. So I actually came away from this show really loving the experience and really loving the journey and the stories that were unfolding during the entire season. I started rewatching it, and I actually think that it's proving even more enjoyable and even stronger in a lot of ways on my rewatch. I think having been able to give some thought and kind of see what's really going on on a deeper level this second time around has really addressed some of some of my weird concerns about it. That said, I still do have some funky quibbles about it. But overall, my experience of the show was one of really, really loving it and really being excited for what's about to come next. And as for me, I really I unabashedly loved the show I found myself looking forward to it every single week I really loved a lot of the different aspects of it and because I really love it I can be deeply deeply critical of it too I get salty about the things that I love the things that I am really invested in I am more likely to pick apart and complain about the nuances of it and all of that. So I'm here for some critique. And I think there's definitely some valid critique out there. However, that's definitely for me coming from a place of deep love and excitement about there being more seasons yet to come. I have so many feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to like it more than I do, especially given all of the racist backlash that we've been dealing with. I wanted to just unapologetically love it, but I just don't. I don't think it's a particularly good adaptation of the second age, even given the rights issues they're running up against. The settings are beautiful, and a lot of the creature design, not the wargs, has been great. (laughs) But there are a lot of, frankly, puzzling choices being made from nitpicky things such as the costuming and Bronwyn's fucking blue dress to larger plot-related matters such as the mithril horseshit. And I knew I would have issues because of the aforementioned rights. But I find the the little hidden hat tips to the Silmarillion content and the homages to Peter Jackson to not be compelling enough to distract me from the sometimes huge diversions they are needing or wanting to take with the events of the Second Age. So I hardly ever gained true immersion and lost myself in the world. I think about what I spent the summer reading as we made our way through Tolkien's Second Age material, and I think of how clever and subversive a good adaptation could be especially if they had the full rights to the writing and showrunners willing to engage with sticky topics. And I yearn Mm -hmm. for that instead of for what I've gotten. That being said, I absolutely love what they're doing with the dwarves and the orcs and would gladly watch a Kazadum supercut or spinoff. But on the whole, I found it pretty generic fantasy with recognizable names and I'm disappointed about it. And just to piggyback onto this, not directly related, but I have some 
pretty bad anxiety surrounding new fans who were going to come into the fandom via the show because we know how toxic parts of the fandom have become and new fans will be readily evident unless they immediately go out and buy the Silmarillion and read it because of how divergent this adaptation actually is. I keep getting flashes of conversations I've witnessed at conferences where people have been shouted down about some small detail they've remembered from the movie version versus the book version. And I cringe when I think about how much worse those conversations might go in the future. Mm -hmm. So Alicia and I watched the show together and my takeaways are significantly different from hers. Overall, I enjoyed the series. I do have some minor complaints here and there. It looks absolutely beautiful, rife with really powerful imagery. Production value in general is very high. Overall, I love the location designs, especially everything just looks breathtaking. Casa Doom, Numenor, Linden. I just love how they've realized those. Most of the creature design is good. I don't hate the wargs as much as some people do. They're so fucking bad. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the costumes and effects are great. Again, with a couple of exceptions, I really enjoy Bear McCurry's score, especially on the watch through that I just finished this afternoon. I think generally speaking, the performances are really solid. Galadriel, Durin, Disa, Elendil, Halbrand, and The Stranger were real standouts for me. And I, I actually like the little nods to the Jacks movies, the Silmarillion, and, and other bits of lore and stuff like that. They were able to incorporate, even though they don't necessarily have full rights to those parts. Uh, I do have some qualms primarily with some of the pacing and a few like writing beats and choices. Uh, But in the end, we get to explore new times and places in Middle-earth. I'm really happy about that. And it's laying the groundwork for a lot of what I was really hoping to see in the future season. We're getting teases and foreshadowing of that. So I'm looking forward to what's to come. Yeah, so um, I'm the negative Nancy. And I have been for a while now. And I've kind of just acknowledged that. I know in the grand scheme of things, in comparison to other people discussing this that I'm actually somewhere in the middle but I I will say my experience being in this group of people has been very strange (laughs) it's really weird to (laughs) be so far removed from kind of the general consensus of everyone else and I mean we've Grace and I and Tim and to a lesser extent Leah have spent hours discussing this show yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh man but because we've already kind of had those conversations although no one else has been privy to them and everyone's kind of having those conversations like what they did good what they did bad like their just general thoughts about the show and you know how it's digging through Tolkien's bones or not, depending on where you fall on that I thought it would be nice to discuss things that actually deal with the people who listen to this podcast. Like, let's discuss some queer shit. Let's discuss uh, how they're actually handling racism. Because I had a discussion with one of my new POC friends about how they have been let down by the media discussing race in regards to the show only through the, oh, well, they cast black actors and therefore Mm -hmm. they're very progressive when they've been failing in other ways. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. And I agree. That's not something I ever really hear people talking about. It's mostly just, I can't believe they're black elves and not actually anything about the depiction of said black elf. Yeah. And I think in all this kind of coming to this podcast and kind of talking about this episode, we, we really wanted to... I don't know. I guess we really wanted to showcase that there's 
a lot of different experiences happening and we're all reasonable people we're all adults we're all fans no one's revoking each other's fan card or insulting someone else's intelligence i I think that what we really wanted was less to talk about kind of like a, a lot of like our kind of personal stuff and kind of kind of expand out a little bit more into some of the these bigger issues like handling possible queer baiting or some of the racism that might be unconsciously at work and some of the uh, sexism that's unconsciously at work in the visuals that are being portrayed up on the mm-hmm. screen. And so since I, I think that I land on the opposite side of the spectrum from Alicia and being <laughs> the one who's been kind of waving the flag and kind of being in a particular corner of the internet where I'm actually in the minority of of opinions. I, I guess I do feel like it's important to to talk about this stuff and to to be critical. And it's also important to kind of understand that everybody has different experiences and everyone is responding to things in in different ways. But we're all friends and we're all fans and we're all here to to make the world better and especially to make the Tolkien world better. And in doing so, we're not the ones making the show, of course, but we can still point things out and we can still look at things with eyes wide open, you know, and and go into the next seasons looking for this stuff and seeing seeing where people have risen to the challenge and where people have fallen down. Yeah, I think we're looking to make sure that we're approaching this with nuance and that there's a lot of space for all of our listeners and that showcasing that we can disagree as reasonable people who are deeply invested and agree in parts and disagree wholly in others and that that is okay. Respectful disagreement and critique can be had about a piece of media without reverting to like just blind toxicity and gatekeeping like well, your opinion's wrong. It's not Tolkien. You can't possibly be a real Tolkien fan if you like the show because it's so divergent from the lore. I can make a vow right now that I will not be calling any of my fellow podcast hosts orcs because of liking or disliking the show. Oh, oh my fucking it, God. We prefer the term Uruks. Yes. You know, I know Alicia said like she's been kind of the negative one in our group, but like I have a lot of... I mean, we're we're both friends with a lot of the same people. All of us probably have a lot of the same connections. And the show has been so divisive. There are some of my Tolkien fan and scholar friends that have clearly been enjoying it. There are others that have been pretty relentlessly negative about it. And yeah. that negativity has really made me not want to talk about it very much in like public settings, like on social media, because I don't yeah. want to be faced with like, I, I want to post about it and just put something like, look, if you didn't like the show, just keep it to yourself, please. Like, I know, you know, I've probably been reading your posts. I probably know your feelings about it. I've already heard my wife say it. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) posting this because I want to, you know, have a bunch of responses that are like, oh, well, I hated it because of X, Y, and Z. Like, and and this is something that I don't think I'm alone in and that there are other people out there that are, it's almost feels Last Jedi-ish to me and that, like, there's a silent majority that are okay with this series. Like, obviously, Critically, it did pretty well in terms of viewership numbers. It's been Amazon's best performing series ever. Mm-hmm. And so like there obviously are a lot of people that have been watching it for whatever reason, whether they hate watching it or I would like to think a lot of people are watching it because they're enjoying it and they're engaged in it. But yeah. those people just 
don't feel comfortable because of the toxic elements in the fandom that will just shout down anybody that has a positive opinion about it. So hopefully this can be example of the opposite effect. <laughs> it happens from my end too. I never want to talk about this fucking show because I yeah. am critical of it. Yeah. But I'm not critical of it in the right way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. if I post about the show, what happens is I get a lot of people telling me, oh well, this is woke horseshit. And I have a yeah. lot of other people telling me, oh, well, you're wrong. This is actually really good. So like mm-hmm. I'm getting it from both fucking sides and I don't really mm-hmm. appreciate that. So I just never talk about it. Like I have a very small select group of people and most of them are here that I ever <laughs> discuss the show with. Because one, you have to have a fair amount of background information for me to discuss the show with you because I'm going to immediately go into Unfinished Tales mm-hmm. or History of Middle Earth. We had a friend over here who was trying to discuss this with me at our Halloween party. And I was like, oh, no, I don't really think you want to do this right now. But okay. <laughs> Poor Mark didn't know what he was getting himself into. No. And like every five minutes, he had to stop me and be like, okay, so what is it that you're talking about right now? And then I have to go back to, okay, well, in the Silmarillion, blah, 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 blah. Here, read these books. Yeah. Then, come, go, then we can talk. Go get a PhD. And then come back and talk to me. And I don't want to be that person, but to discuss some of the problems I have with this show, I have to go back to that because my problems are rooted in that. So I don't want to give a fucking lecture every time I actually talk about what I do and don't like about this show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's too much energy to have to invest in enjoying or not enjoying something. Yeah. So let's just get it out there now. So that you can just say, just go listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> On yeah, the exactly. Listen to our, our two hour long podcast about this. <laughs> you'll learn you'll learn all you want to know, I'm sure. <laughs> it's shorter than the audiobook of the Silmarillion. So they're coming out ahead. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's also an element that that I keep being aware of in just how social media, how media and everything like that is very different now in 2022 than it was 20 years ago when the Peter Jackson adaptations were first coming out. And I think in Tolkien adaptation fanishness, people are comparing those experiences and and trying to draw conclusions about the quality of one versus the quality of other based on uh, their perceptions of fan reception at that time and now. And I think it's just a lot more complicated and a lot faster moving than it was at that time. So when I watched the Peter Jackson movies, I had to at least get home from the movie theater parking lot before I could yell at anybody <laughs> online about them. And that is no longer like I can do that from my seat in front of the television now. Do so, during the credits. Yeah. 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 So it's a different world. Yeah, I was going to say that like it's even different from from The Hobbit. I mean, I've mentioned it before, but I kind of feel like I've been having like war flashbacks to the reception around The Hobbit where I was like, oh, those weren't so bad. And everyone else was like descending on me like a pack of ravenous vampire bats. And (laughs) so I was just kind of I'd also been kind of dreading talking about it in with a lot of people, unless they're people I trust like you guys because of that ex- of that similar experience but yeah like the social media landscape is so different even from the, from when the hobbit came out and it's just so much more 
reactive and so much more like visceral and immediate in a way that I, I think I really think that it kind of can't be ignored in in terms of discussing and criticizing the show, which kind of sucks, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I do want to also point out you have to take into account the societal and political differences from when Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies were released and this show. Um, <laughs> I didn't actually sound it more ominous than I meant it to. That <laughs> yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. This show is released in a time of not only just immediate social media, like discourse, but also like we're like really in a living through a pretty divided time. Yeah. We're living through the fall of an empire, basically. Yeah, we're living yeah. through collapse <laughs> of civilizations. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Hobbit movies got a little bit of that as well, but not nearly as bad as where we are now in 2022. And like yeah. early 2000s, what was happening in America? Everyone was banding together because 9-11 happened and Kumbaya kills Sauron slash the ring slash Bin Laden. Like, and you had people on all sides of the political spectrum mapping their feelings onto things that they really liked in the Lord of the Rings story and maybe having different takeaways, but still the outcomes being a an appreciation of the films. Yeah. Well, should we start getting into it? Should we start going into the... <laughs> we're, we're doing everything to avoid talking about the actual show. I know. Show. I think it's just we're talking through our feelings. I think that that's totally valid. I think talking through feelings is always a good thing. And But yeah, well, are you, are you guys ready? <laughs> Hang on, let me just go. I think I have to clip my fingernails first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shall I, I go refill my, my drink and get some more booze before yeah. we dive into it? No, let's jump in. Let's jump in. <laughs> Okay, let's do it, you guys. All right. So this show's actually kind of racist. Mm. <laughs> Which is uh, a hell of a hot take if one is to uh, listen to basically any single news article that's been written about it. They do good and bad things. I will say that the fact that they do have POC characters at all is a huge step forward, and especially since they're not all evil Peter fucking Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, J.R.R. Tolkien? Yeah. I'm also appreciative, and that I know that there are different takes on this, but I am appreciative of the fact that the presence of actors of color portraying people in Middle Earth is not dependent on real world, our world, political history, what mm -hmm. have you. Mm -hmm. It is not that you know, people of color can only exist in one particular region of Middle Earth and that there has to be an explanation for any person with more than a baseline level of melanin to show up in any other region of Middle Earth. Right. That is something that a lot of people have called for and demanded. And I am very glad that they did not go with that take on things. I'm yeah. with you 100% on that. I was really glad to see that the POC characters and a lot of the female characters were really centered in it without tokenizing them, without focusing too much on gender differences or racial differences, that sort of thing. It was just like, they were there. They were in the role. They were not othered. There are places where it happens, but it, for me, at least, I didn't really see a whole lot of like, a Ron Deere was treated differently because he was the black elf or anything like that. Or Disa was treated differently because she was the black dwarf kind of thing. Yeah. 
And honestly, some of the POC characters were some of the big standouts for me, which really proves those people deserve to be there. Arondir as Miguel Cruz Cordova did great. Sofia Nombete did great as Disa. Lenny Henry was fantastic as Sadik Rose. All of those performances I loved. Yeah. I do really wish that Arondir wasn't the only dark-skinned elf, though. Yeah. Well, fascinatingly, he's not. Let's get into some of the things that we don't do so well. And uh, yeah, there were, I guess, maybe some of the veiled ones, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But in Cause of Doom, they made sure that the dwarves were much more diverse overall. Mm -hmm. The Harfoots, the Numenorians, the men of the Southlands, all were very diverse, but not attention wasn't called to it. It was just like, this is a multicultural society. Get over it, dickwad racists. Yeah. Yeah. So, Grace, what happened to those other elves of color? So, okay. So... So I did notice on my rewatch, and to to be clear, I have now watched every episode at least three times, um, but I did a, a full rewatch after episode eight had aired. And fascinatingly, there is an elf who is with Galadriel and Foradwith pretty early on, who, when you freeze frame, because the person is depicted very briefly, they're an extra, they're a background character. I have not looked up who that actor is, so I can't specifically speak to what their ethnic heritage is, but it looks to be someone who is black. Yeah. Okay. And then they disappear. I did notice that as well on this rewatch. They do have light-skinned privilege. I think that that's the thing that is like, the thing that I noticed about the elves in contrast to the Numenorians and the Harfoots especially was that they are overwhelmingly far whiter and far more of light-skinned privilege than than these other races and mm-hmm. yeah i think that that person i because i noticed that person as well and i was like oh look they're there and they seem to be a woman as well yes and so they're there very briefly but they're very brief and it they is... disappear once <gasps> like once we get to the top of the cliff they are gone mm-hmm. they never reappear well, they just fell off. It's fine. They they fell off. <laughs> they do reappear on the boat, though. I did notice them on the boat. Oh. No, they're not on the boat. They have like a disappearing and reappearing act because I noticed them in the very back of the boat. Is this the Legolas's eyes of Rings of Power? I think so. I think so. <laughs> they're they're kind of do a funky disappearing act, but because I again I also did the freeze framing thing and I noticed that they were in very in the back and at least one shot. This is my concern. They're not depicted and anywhere that I could find on the boat. They're not they are not honored in the ceremony of you've done such a good job as, as yeah. you know, elven warriors or whatever. And this is particularly concerning to me because of some of the background of the showrunners. Mm-hmm. One of the showrunners is Mormon. The Mormon church did decide in 1978 that black people were not terrible. Specifically that black people have souls is what they decided <laughs> in 1978. Yeah. So, so generous. What a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> this lampooned in the book of Mormon musical and everything. There's a line. I believe that in 1978, the Mormon ch- church changed its mind about black people and all that. But, this is very genuinely a, a concern of mine because the the religious doctrine in that particular subset of religion has been that people of color are not worthy of going to heaven or the afterlife or what have you. And so for there to be a 
black extra as an elf who then disappears from any honoring or Leah, I'm going to have to rewatch again because I did not see them anywhere on the, the boat to Valinor. It's very brief. So I think that it would be very easy to miss. But I, I do recall seeing that same character in the very back of the boat. And again, it might be like a, another random kind of like extra disappearing between takes. Just the Rosa Parks of Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor. Oh, yeah. Good Lord. Wherever you go, there's just a, the, the level of tokenization of the extras in this yes. is, I think, a problem. Yes. It maps on to very problematic beliefs, very problematic history in our own world that we as an audience are likely to pick up on or uh, have been raised in a society that is racist. And so that maps into just the things that that many of us don't acknowledge and don't try to unpack. Yes. We also have elves of color in the scene with the orcs and a rondeer being held captive. And I think we probably need to delve into that for the for our main character there too. Yeah. But there are there are elves in the background who are men and women of color mm-hmm. and they don't really get speaking roles. They don't get names and they do get to die. I wasn't sure if any of those were elves because I think a lot of those were men of the Southlands that had been taken captive as well. I had a question well. about that as well. We're wearing the same tunic as Arondir wears under, oh. as Arondir and Midor and Revion. We're under their armor. It's that brown, like fluttery, fl- fluttery armed shirt. Mm, so, okay. Uh, okay. But again, it's like a blink if you miss it, right? Or, you know, it's, it's yeah. almost, a, it's very difficult to actually You'd tell to that those are elves. on their ears, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. And it's just not I I think that could have been much better done, because if you want me to believe that you are committed to representation, I shouldn't have to freeze frame to find that representation. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. And and I think Grace just alluded to something else that I just really want to bring up was that it is a real weird choice that seems pretty tone deaf to have one of your POC character and your only elven POC character literally in chains in a work camp by the second episode when and i thought about it this time through they could easily have had a rondier follow through the tunnels discover the work camp and you know the other elves in captivity and rather than him ending up in captivity himself he just saves the other elves i think that would have been just as effective as having a rondier end up in fucking shackles is that yeah. any less racist, though? And I know that's a weird thing to say, because obviously having a black character in chains is horrifically racist. But like at that point, you're going into like black exceptionalism. Yeah, mm. or like the, the magical black person sort of thing. Yeah, like he has racist plot armor at that point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I agree. Like on the rewatch, watching that scene of a Rondier in chains, like in my notes, I was just like, oof, cringed, yes. <laughs> cringed. I made a horrible noise when I watched that the first time because yeah. really? that That's yeah. where you're going to go with it? Oof. And like, they're clearly trying to show other characters in the same situation who are like, who are white men. But that doesn't even the scales remotely enough. Yeah. So, no, when the lead character is yeah. yeah. It doesn't it doesn't work quite that that way. A lot of that set of scenes could have been written and structured 
very differently with other ways of showing the the pressures that they were under. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even if there just weren't shackles, I think just taking the shackles away would have done a lot. It wouldn't have done everything that needed to be done, but Mm -hmm. just I can't even imagine going up to this black actor and be like, hey, we're going to put you in chains now. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder, man, (laughs) if I was at a convention, I would totally ask Ismael Cruz Cordova what his thoughts were about that. Yeah. Yeah. How you prepare for that role in that way? Oh, gosh. Yeah. With the understanding that he is still actively involved in the series and cannot go full on cyborg from the justice league on (laughs) (laughs) can't cannot go full on fucking scorched earth but yeah see even even what his sort of hedge dancer would be Mm -hmm. he's also been very frank and i think this gets into something else that we want to talk about is like he's been very frank about how as a man of color playing an elf he has to be the most elvish elf to ever elf Mm -hmm. yeah frankly Mm -hmm. he's good at it he is amazing Mm -hmm. but just the the rank unfairness of that because of the world that we are in i mean this happens for marginalized people like everywhere you go you have to be twice as good to get recognized as doing half as much yeah yeah that that is an old black proverb yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and I love Arondir. I think he is a great actor. I think he's a great character. He is very much falling into this like black exceptionalism slash respectability politics kind of thing. Like he is the elfiest elf to have ever elfed because he has to be because he's black. Yeah. He has to be perfect at all times. And his perfection is also like really heavily scrutinized, right? Not right. not necessarily in the actual story, although it is a little bit in the story, but definitely outside of the story, he's being scrutinized by fans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really wish that we were past the point where Black people have to be perfect to be treated as human beings. And apparently we're not. And apparently we weren't in this show either, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Like He should be allowed to fail in the same way that all the rest of the elves are very morally gray. They are constantly making really bad decisions all very of the fucking time. <laughs> and yet he's not allowed that same grace. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of can't imagine the sort of response that we would be getting. I mean, what we've been getting with Galadriel, the sort of choices that she's been making in the show, I can't imagine the kind of response that we would be getting if if it was Arondir who was doing these things, right? It would be a crucifixion basically mm-hmm. or disa or or disa or yeah. sadic or yeah 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 Oof. or muriel i mean muriel is morally gray and she is one of the characters that is getting the most hate that i've seen overall really? well she's a dark-skinned woman <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. those two things uh play together in a way that is just catnip for racists yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating to me is that I haven't seen people being really critical of Muriel. And mm. I think we tend to occupy some of the same spaces on the internet. We tend to talk to some of the same 
people and we tend to see a lot of the same fuckery going on. And so this is just a reminder that just because one hasn't seen a particular issue coming up in one's own social media feeds does not mean that it is not rampant out there. Yeah. Yeah. It could be rampant in spaces that you're in, but those spaces are moderated. And so you don't see it. Could be. Thank your local moderators and admins for that. (laughs) I say as one of those mods and admins. Please vocally thank your local mods because, oh my God, we need it sometimes. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's something I kind of wanted to go into with Disa. There was a particular moment basically right at the end of the time that we see her in the show where I think that she's being quite a supportive wife and reassuring her husband that you know that he no matter what his father says you know he's eventually going to be the king and they will eventually be able to do what they want to do a lot of people read that moment as a comparison to lady macbeth especially and all of the kind of attendant sort of villain sort of uh, connotations with that and i started to get really kind of worried about that because that was a pretty quick leap for folks to make from a character who's been really popular and who's been kind of gushed over and folks have fallen in love with her, me included, to see that go from she's absolutely perfect and she's so good and she is such a wonderful, wonderful person to, oh, she's Lady Macbeth. She's going to she's trying to set up her husband to her ambition and trying to take over a kingdom without any rights or whatever. I got really uncomfortable because again, this is one of the only other dark skinned black women in this show. Mm-hmm. And I found it far too easy for folks to make those villainous connections and i think that the showrunners really need to be cognizant of that going forward and i think that they need to be made pretty well aware of it now because as you said a dark-skinned black woman is fucking catnip for racists and especially one in an interracial relationship exactly Mm -hmm. and so i i got really uncomfortable with with that yeah i will cop to that one I think I literally said in that scene is like, wow, this feels re- really Lady Macbethy kind of yeah, thing. You did. And I, yeah. I caught myself and checked myself. I was like, wait a minute. Like, is that okay? Like, it should, you know, am I being fairier? Oh, totally. I, I found myself doing it too. Yeah, on my rewatch, I, I, I took it a lot differently. I found myself doing it too. And yeah, I was just like, but, you know, kind of afterwards, I was kind of like, well, hold on, hold on. I also noticed that a lot of people drawing that connection don't have the same reading of Lady Macbeth that I do. Like it Uh tends to be like a a vaguely remembered villainous woman reading and there's a lot more depth to the actual character. But when you're you're speaking of it as an archetype and then applying it to a black woman, a multiracial woman that yeah. that gets a, a lot more problematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I did a fair amount of reading about interracial relationships specifically to talk about them today because I am obviously not in one. There yeah. was a really good paper that I'm not going to say the name of because the name of the paper is um, kind of questionable, but it's like a recent sociological paper that <laughs> came out in 2020. And it is comparing the view of of different types of interracial relationships amongst uh, black men in particular. And mm. 
how wider society views a black man in an interracial relationship and how black men view black women who are in interracial relationships. And I mm-hmm. found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. of the things that they are covering is specifically they see black women who were in interracial relationships to be grasping and trying to better their lot socially by marrying a white person and glomming on to white culture. And I was thinking about that same reaction because I had that same reaction. There's something about the way that she was like kind of hunkered into Duran during that speech about how they're going to do what they want to do that made me think also she's trying to push him into doing this to like further her own station. And when I read that in that paper, I was like, oh, well, this is probably why I think that this is obviously just something that society kind of defaults to. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That's not why I was reading that paper. I was reading that paper to talk about Arondir and Bronwyn, but then I got to... <laughs> well, let's talk about Arondir and Bronwyn then. Let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little problematic having a Black character be in love with who appears to be on the surface a white woman. I do know that she is of Iranian ancestry. I think she's Iranian American. Yeah. One of the five principal actors with Asian heritage on the show. Mm. Yeah, she really raises white, though, and they kind of treat her that way on the show. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, I feel like I don't even need to say that there's a lot of badness surrounding uh, black men and white women being in relationships. There's like the old, you know, Civil War era, you're destroying our racial purity thing, which is surprisingly still happening. The birth of a nation plot. (laughs) Yeah. I also have come across a lot of black women discussing this particular dynamic in a um he's a race traitor kind of way because mm. he's rejecting what society deems black women as being as uh, angry and overly masculine and therefore he wants to be with the slighter more domesticated white woman which is a hell of a sentence that i just said honestly <laughs> <laughs> Somebody clip that so that we can replay it later. And (laughs) I would feel so much more prepared to dig into that if there were Black women on my screen in that land who are named characters who are... Who are elves. Yeah, who are are people that, that we know as characters. And that is one of the places where I think that the show is guilty of a bit of tokenism because that that can't really be assessed character to character it has to be assessed based on fan reception yeah as much as i like arondir and bronwyn i almost think it would probably be better if he didn't have a love interest given the optics of the love interest he currently has and how i have Mm. seen other people specifically poc discuss it Mm. i don't think that the showrunners have the nuance needed to portray this relationship in a way that doesn't seem at least a little bit racist the showrunners i question but there are (laughs) black women in the writer's room yeah 
one of them liked my series of tweets on why it's perfectly valid to read Muriel as black. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> yeah, I do think that I, I do think that this is kind of another one of those cases where it's like the showrunners, they're they're freshman showrunners. And I think that a lot of my pacing and story issues kind of stem from what can really only be characterized as inexperience. And same. I think that in this case, I think it's a lack of experience. And I also think that it's something unconscious. I think it's being white men in a white supremacist society. And I think that I hope this black woman point out everything that we've kind of been saying here to them, because I think that they could really benefit from some flexion. We'll make sure we link them to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I definitely agree that there needs to be some further reflection on specifically the racist things that we're talking about, given that one of the showrunners is Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. I just okay, so even if this showrunner was not Mormon, but still lived in the Utah area, which we know is a thing that happened. Utah's so goddamn white. Yeah. <laughs> like, is this the first black person that these people ever saw was when they cast these characters? <laughs> it's, it's possible. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even if one of them wasn't Mormon, they're both still cis, straight, white men living or and working in, in Hollywood. And so I think it's like there's there's a lot going against them there and a lot that's feeding and supporting them there. And so, yeah, I, I really think that this is something that, unfortunately, I think that it can change again with probably with some more black women in the writer's room and in producer positions. There were a lot of executive producers on this show because I saw their names in the credits I'd love to know the background of a lot of those folks. And I'd love to see some women of color in in these higher up big decision making positions. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was a choice to have the first major character death be a black guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Agreed. <laughs> so I I don't disagree. I would like to know more about the circumstances of his departure. A lot of the time, big name actors like that, when they get involved in a project like this, will say, yes, I'll do it, but only for one season. For one season. Because they've got other things that they'd like to do, that kind of thing. If it was the showrunner's decision to kill him off, then yeah, I have an issue with it. But if Same. it was more, you know, I just I just can't commit to five seasons of a show. If it was Lenny himself. Obviously, it's it's, you know, I'll look at it in a different light. So the amount of agency that the actor has in that decision is a big determination factor for me in whether I am at peace with the decision or not. Mm-hmm. Because if you're working around an actor's boundary, that is very different than just writing the actor off the show because who cares and one of the things that supports that potential reason for the departure for me is lenny henry has been pretty absent in terms of the promotional tours and materials like a lot of the actors and stuff have been going out to cons and doing appearances and doing a lot of interviews lenny henry's done a little bit but not a lot which makes Mm -hmm, me think that you know he, he wanted to get involved with this potentially and just 
but just did not want to commit to a long tenure sort of thing. So if, if I'm wrong about that and the showrunners did racially fridge him, which maybe is a term we do need to give some background on, then I'll, I'll absolutely take that back. Yeah. In our show notes, I have this under a uh, (laughs) section called fridging of other black leads. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And you are valid for this. (laughs) Yeah. If you're unfamiliar with what fridging is, it's kind of a barrier gaze, but it's usually uh, assigned to women. It was coined by Gail Simone. It's when a usually female character is killed off, injured, otherwise disempowered to further a male character's development. And it came from a Green Lantern comic when the Green Lantern's girlfriend was murdered and shoved in his refrigerator. Yep, I ha- I own that issue. Pretty literal. It was it mid mid nineties. Kyle Rayner, and to give you an idea, I don't even remember the girlfriend's name anymore. I think I think it was Ugh. Jenny something, but I can't. I'm not 100 percent sure. But yeah, it was literally like they introduced her, and then a couple issues later, they had her Killer. cut up and her parts put into a refrigerator by like the major villain, just to basically forward Kyle Rayner's story arc because he was like the new Green Lantern and he needed <sighs> motivation. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, and I think. Sadok could potentially fall into something similar to that because as it is depicted in the show, it feels like he's only killed to further Nori and the Stranger's storyline. Yeah, I wonder how much we're actually going to end up seeing the rest of the Harfoots in future seasons. Oh, I hope none. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, too. I I really like the Harfoots. The showrunner <laughs> interviews may make Alicia happy then. They've alluded to that some uh, some characters we may not see for a season or two and then pick back up with Oh, later. great, they're doing a Bran Stark. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia's smile at this moment is beautiful. I just want to let everyone who can't see us recording know that. Oh, yeah. man. I really like the Harfoots. I find them delightful. And I love their, their camo skills. I do, too. <laughs> I think that they are just... just so delightful. And then I love Wandering Day. I think it's a lovely little song. Oh, it made me cry. <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, <laughs> I was say, I, I have an, another friend who was like, oh, this sentimental garbage, you're not going to make me cry during this song. And I was just like, oh, that's right. You have no soul. I forgot. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. Do you know Tolkien? Tolkien's fucking books are full of sentimental songs. <laughs> you have no soul. That's, that's yeah. okay. I'll, I'll still be your friend. <laughs> I kind of took Sadok's death somewhat differently. I think that and this might be kind of another remains to be seen sort of thing where I kind of felt like he he gave a really sort of an interesting reflection on what should and I hope will be developed further in the show, which is the acceptance of, of death among mortal beings. Seeing him sit there and watch the sunrise and kind of knowing that he's dying and that he's he's lived with loved ones as he goes was kind of unexpectedly like really moving for me i didn't quite connect it in the same way to like oh this is happening to make make nori leave i kind of think nori would have left regardless of of sadak dying so that was that was kind of my experience of it yeah i do think he's not the first character to die by any means we we've seen quite a number of named characters die who are clearly important to the main characters but he's the first principal cast member 
yeah that mm-hmm. that from. so it, it it there are a couple levels of it yeah. here i would like to alicia can i just read your note of who else might be considered a main character because this <laughs> is beautiful to me Alicia's notes say the only main character who's died really unless you want to argue that Isildur's buddy whose name I can't remember is the name character <laughs> Isildur's oh. white, white buddy Antimo <laughs> poor Antimo okay. poor Antimo's nameless girlfriend who is going oh. to find out that- <laughs> and his poor nameless father-in-law who was so proud of him exactly oh. Man, you you guys are more dedicated than I am like I've, I've rewatched oh, I everything eat. a couple of times but I have not committed to memory like any of the secondary characters names <laughs> <laughs> it's sure, real sure. difficult to a lot of them are just interchangeable <laughs> I, yeah. I mean it's like you know you can always interchange one long-haired bearded white guy for another in lord of the rings uh yes. visual media but <laughs> i only remember some of the names of like galadriel's fordwaith party because i'm like oh yeah i've decided that they're boyfriends and they get married over in valinor <laughs> oh <laughs> And they're wearing their special. Oh yeah, and their special like underwear. Special underwear. <laughs> wearing their special ceremonial underpants, undergarments. Oh, you mean like what a Sildor wears on the ship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he throws the apple, uh, half, half of an apple into the, into the Lord. ocean, just like a dick. Could have just given that for the horse. Just give my dude. Just give it to the horse. If, he, if you're not going to eat it, just give it to the yeah. horse. Fish don't eat apples, dummy. God. God. Yeah. These are the real issues, you guys. There's a fucking <laughs> amount of food on a ship. Yes. That's it. Exactly. Door, fucking shut up. Uh, <laughs> Listen, man. I will argue until the cows come home about like how many people could fit on those ships and what historically what actual outfits of ships were and, and all that. But the point where they do lose me is Isildur throwing the apple off the edge. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Uh, Speaking of Numenorians. <laughs> um, the other character who is maybe fridged, Muriel. Yeah. Why is she blinded? Yeah. This is I... not in canon. <laughs> no. I- I'm concerned about this as well. Like, this kind of feels like another opportunity to be very insensitive to another experience of life which is a disability and we know that there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities to to go wrong especially on on television and Tolkien didn't do great at it either and Mm -hmm. so this is one of the places where I feel probably the most uncomfortable and the most unclear as to what's the point here what's the story point here and what's the character point what's this the doing for Muriel rather than anybody else around her there are too many examples in our actual history that we as as fans and viewers inhabit where disability has been used in literature or in history to claim that someone is not fit to lead, that they are not good, that disability is bad. And I don't know any group of people out there any showrunners who could really thread the needle on this set of things coming together and make a set of statements about it that aren't problematic in some way so i yeah i am very nervous about it i think that there is also an element of just taking this off to the side for a second during the third's conversation with during the fourth at the point in time right before he 
renounces him as his heir, essentially, and, and pulls down his crest, saying that there was something that was formed wrong in him at birth and that mm-hmm. a and all of that. So there are a couple of points within just a very few episodes that there's a lot of, of things that ping for me as red or orange flags that this is not being handled well. Yeah. I think it, it presents opportunity in the long run. I don't know that I have confidence that they'll stick the landing, but it, and yeah. especially in the case yeah. of Dewar and the Third, I feel like they're going to set him up to ultimately become, you know, successor, whether, I don't know, whether we're going to see the fall of Kaza Doom in Rings of Power or not. We, yeah. Canonically, we shouldn't, but who knows? Yeah. But with Muriel in particular, it feels like they're just going to take this as, you know, more of Farazan's opportunity to usurp the throne. Yeah. Granted, if this avoids, hey, cousin, you're my wife now, then yeah. maybe that's a better option. But I don't know how much better. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's either like <laughs> sexist or ableist. Or ableist. Yeah. But, you know, there there is opportunity. They could frame her as, you know, there, there could be some redemption for her in the end, right? Even even if it's after Numenor sinks and everybody starts realizing, oh, shit, the blind lady was right, right? Like, right. okay, we should have listened to this disabled person who we, we questioned their leadership skills because Farazan said so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I do want to, yeah. like, bring up, that in the context of the show as it is right now, her blinding is mostly about Elendil. It's not really about her. It's about how he is reacting to it. Yeah, I. it's tricky. Like, I, I kind of feel like it's not, like, leaning super hard on it being more about Elendil. I kind of do feel like they're using it as a chance to bring those two characters together, for sure. But yeah, I for the most part, I feel I feel uncomfortable with it. Like I feel like it's it's a device that's not furthering the story in a very fruitful way and just in an ableist way. I suspect that they may end up using this to create foils for each other out of Farazan and Elendil. Mm. And then in that regard, yes, there is a concerning element that her abilities and storyline are framed between two men yeah instead yeah. and that that can be tempered by the the strength of writing around her and and her depiction and all of that it's not simply because there are complicated factors doesn't mean that that they can't do good things but they have set themselves an incredible challenge that i i don't know yeah I wouldn't want to try to do that. Nope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, to have the the confidence of a of a mediocre white man, I guess, um, <laughs> to do to do anything that you you feel like you're you're capable of doing. <laughs> but I really don't envy them this task, and I'm I'm not totally convinced that that they can really meet that challenge. Yeah, this is a place that I'm also not willing to hopefully defend them. On, I I will have to wait and see what they do because I am very nervous. Yeah, yeah. same. Agreed. Same. Oh, but what are they doing right? They're doing the orcs real, real right. Yes, indeed. Yeah, you're depicting the orcs in such a like humanizing way. 
it, it makes me more angry about how much they are dropping in terms of racism to see how right they're getting the orcs. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I feel like Adar has become a real standout character for a lot of people, even those people those of my friends and folks that I've talked to who have not liked the show very much at all. Like, I feel like especially his conversation with Galadriel about his origins and sort of the nature of orcs really brings into the conversation all of this stuff that Tolkien was ruminating about and thinking about for ages about whether orcs really were truly irredeemable and whether they were like just automatons, did they have souls? I really think that it, this complicates the situation with orcs in such a really like, in a really like generous and kind of interesting way in that they're not offering any answers to it. Tolkien didn't have any answers to it. And it's just kind of offering a lot of complications and a lot of discomfort for folks watching it which i think is really interesting a lot of moral ambiguity that they're playing with there and i like it i've yeah. seen a lot of folks really uncomfortable with the idea of complicating the history and narrative of the orcs and a lot of claims that you know that this isn't what they were expecting or what they wanted or this is this isn't tolkien and my response to that is usually have you guys read two towers return of the king like mm-hmm these are things that are, I think, very Tolkienian, and I'm very pleased to see as part of this adaptation. Like, this complication is really key for me. Yeah, Adar is hands down the most compelling character on this show, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, he's opening up a very brave can of worms. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people. <sighs> okay, so. I, I'm going to keep making Game of Thrones references. <laughs> Adar is doing the same thing that Daenerys did. Mm. Mm. But because by relating to Daenerys and seeing her as a savior figure when she then turns, which I don't think that she actually does. She was always that way. It yeah. made people rethink a lot of the things that they were previously championing via her and it makes you sit in some uncomfortable feelings and i think that that is precisely what adart's doing is very smart yeah. and very good and i don't understand how two minutes of this show could stand out so much to me over everything else but it really does yeah yeah it also introduces a potentially interesting idea if the orcs are you know this these are orcs that are descended from elves and if orcs are functionally immortal the same way that elves are. We never really yeah. talk about that. We never really talk about the life cycle of orcs, period, in any of Tolkien's works, really. And yeah, that's just an interesting thing to, to think about as well. If some of these orcs have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years without a homeland kind of thing, then yeah, yeah. you can start to sympathize for that a little bit. Yeah, they probably shouldn't be murdering people to get their homeland, but still. Maybe not blowing up a mountain to get their yeah. homeland, but yeah. <laughs> Like the artists who depict orcs actually do talk about their considerations in terms of when they're depicting orcs, how shabby, how decomposed they should actually mm. look. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies, they talk specifically about how the Urukai are more degraded and degrade more quickly. You can actually see them degrade over the course of the film because they are like lesser creatures that have been bred by Saruman 
versus the Mordor orcs. But yeah, we never mm. really do come down on whether orcs are technically immortal because to do that, you have to come down on what orcs are actually made out of. Are they made out of elves? Are they made out of men? Are they robots? Tolkien never actually came down one way or the other. I do like them being descended from elves. I think it makes the most sense because when you think about who made orcs, Morgoth, who did he hate more than anything? Elves. Yeah. You know, there is a version of the origin of orcs that that Tolkien wrote where it was, yes, there were some elves that were frightened by, was it Morgoth or or was it by the Valar? That like they ran away from them and then they ended up coming under the Moraquindy. Yeah, yeah, they ended up coming under Morgoth's thrall, and he basically turned them into orcs over time. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, as is the case with Tolkien, he also wrote four other origin stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I did learn in Rings of Power is exactly how much blood is in an orc's eye socket. <laughs> That's very true. So much more than I envisioned. So much more than I thought. <laughs> More than I ever oh. thought possible. <laughs> it did make me think a lot more about orcish circulatory systems. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Ecological velocity and just all of these, I guess, medical thoughts that I'd never <laughs> encountered about orcs. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing some fanfic about it now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, One of the things that uh, Tim pointed out while we were watching it was that the orcs actually make their own armor. And I Mm -hmm. thought that was really interesting that they're actually giving the orcs like a material culture and they obviously have like customs and stuff. And that's not burial customs or final disposition customs. Yeah. Yeah. They're working, they're working hide, they're working bone. They're not just, you know, picking up scraps of armor from other peoples that they find around, which is kind of what we see in Lord of the Rings, right? Or it's, they're really crude. Like here you're seeing some rather impressive craft coming from them at times. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, the orcs are so good and yet the elves are so bad. Hi friends, producer Tim here. This episode ended up going a little bit long, and so we ended up deciding to release it in two parts. So please join us next time for some further conversation about Season 1 of Rings of Power, including depictions of the elves and some queerness in some of the characters and yes we will talk about the Durin, Disa, and Elrond thruple and more so please tune in for part two of our Rings of Power season one wrap up for that in the meantime thank you very much for listening you can find Queer Lodgings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts Spotify or you can stream our episodes directly on Zencaster at zencaster.com slash queer lodgings a Tolkien podcast with dashes in between the words please leave us a rating uh, like share and subscribe the podcast you can interact with us on facebook at facebook.com slash queer lodgings you can tweet at us at queer underscore lodgings and you can email us at queer lodgings podcast at gmail.com thanks very much we will see you next time
are you feeling, Alicia, as you take a big drink? (laughs) You know, I am so beyond caring about anything in relation to the show. Totally fair. Um, (laughs) That's totally fair. Tim rewatched it and he was like, I'm going to go rewatch it. And I was like, cool. I'm you not. go do that. <laughs> yeah. okay. You lock yourself in the fucking basement. I <laughs> like I've lost a month and a half of my life to this show. So that's where I am emotionally. Okay. Totally. <laughs> totally. So we think we're gonna have you not be the anchor at the end of this. 